I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hello and welcome in to a new edition of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com. That is where you can find all of the Nuggets coverage from me and the staff over at Mile High Sports. Uh, just go to MileHighSports.com, click that Nuggets icon in the top right corner, and you'll see everything there, whether it's post games or podcasts or everything in between. Um, we are going to be talking about the Nuggets 104-103 to loss to the San Antonio Spurs in San Antonio tonight. And there was a ton to unpack from this game. Some big picture stuff, some smaller picture stuff, some interesting little, um, I guess, wrinkles that the Spurs use to defend the Nuggets that could be very interesting once the Nuggets get to a playoff setting as well. Um, So first and foremost, the Nuggets have now lost 13 straight games in San Antonio. If the Nuggets are going to end up meeting up with the Spurs in the playoffs, they better hope that they have home court advantage, which they absolutely should. There's almost no way that the Spurs catch them, but it's going to take Denver winning every single game at home because they just can't beat San Antonio in San Antonio. Maybe with enough contest between the two in San Antonio, Denver can finally break this curse. But as of right now, if the Nuggets have to go to San Antonio to play a basketball game, it's almost an assured loss at this point, And that is not good to see for the Nuggets. Um, beyond that, though, there were some very interesting tidbits. So the Nuggets starters, their opening day starters, were together for now the fourth game um, to actually start out the game together. They were really bad in the first quarter. They ended up getting outscored 19-11 to in the first stint of the game. But overall... Outside of that first stint, they ended up putting up 124.5 offensive rating and 108.5 defensive rating in this game, and they outscored the Spurs by 10 points when that group was on the floor together. So, by the end of the night, with a long enough timeline, they were still an extremely strong unit, but it's notable that they were so bad in that first quarter, and it wasn't just that they weren't clicking. I mean, defensively, they were a step slow, in my opinion, mentally and physically. They did not seem like they showed up ready to play tonight. They kind of came in lackadaisical, thinking that they can just kind of walk into this game and rely on how strong they've been as a starting unit, but the Spurs really took it to them first and buried the Nuggets into a deep hole right off of the bat. The Nuggets ended up starting the game out on it, or the Spurs started on a 7-0 run, and the Nuggets did not lead in this game all night from that point forward. So it was just one of those things where Denver just did not come out ready to play, and they got to figure out why, because there is no reason with the lineup that is this lethal with Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, Paul Millsap, and Nikola Jokic to not just come out of the gate flying and attacking. They are so much more talented than basically every other lineup in the National Basketball Association that is not currently on the Golden State Warriors. They are that good. So for them to come out that flat and that kind of just lackadaisical, like I said, that it should never, ever, ever happen. They're too good and 
everyone, you know, you can point to the fact that they haven't played much together this year, but they have always looked in cohesion whenever they've played, and it just, they look cohesive, they just didn't look like they came with that edge, um, once they did kind of start getting their legs under them, they took off, though. Like I said, ended up outscoring the, the Spurs by 10 points. Um, that unit in this game played almost 23 minutes, shot 56.1% from the field and 61.9% from three. They had 18 assists on 23 made baskets. And again, they had that defensive rating of 108.5, which was probably the highest of any actual lineup that they played in this game. So they ended up playing extremely well from after that first stint on, but you can make an argument that the Nuggets lost this game because of that first stint and because of how much they came not ready to play. So it's kind of a then, you know, it's, it's kind of a two-way street here where it's their fault that they lost, but it's also why there's some hope to take out of this loss and some excitement to take out of this loss because of how good they can be. To be outscored by eight points in your first stint and then end up outscoring the Spurs by ten points from that um, for the entire game, that means they were a plus 18 from their from the point that their first stint ended until the end of the game. That's how talented they could be. And I think the person that has the most to gain from all these starters being back together is Nikola Jokic because he just has so much more room to work with. There are so many more weapons around him that he can use and be able to get more out of them. They all know how to play together so well. I mean, I think that's one thing that's apparent with this starting unit is that despite all of the time that it has taken to get them back on the floor together, they just look so so comfortable together and it's because they complement each other so well so I do think that it's going to be a lineup that just continually gets better and better and they may not be like a plus 32.4 net rating like they are right now over the past two seasons but they're going to consistently be a very very big uh, positive for this Nuggets team. I mean, over the over the, the past two years, whenever that starting five lineup has been on the court together, they are posting a 127.1 offensive rating and a 94.6 defensive rating. That's a plus 32.4, and that's over 330 possessions. This is not a minuscule sample size here. This has become a pretty you know sizable sample. It's not huge, but it's not to where you throw it out the window and disregard the stats anymore. They have four. 418 points and 329 possessions. That means that that starting unit is scoring 1.27 points per possession every single possession. The Warriors right now this season lead the league with a 1.05 points per possession offense. The Nuggets are blowing that out of the water. For a little bit more context, the Warriors' death lineup, that Andre Iguodala, Draymond Green, Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Steph Curry lineup over the past two seasons is scoring one. 1.24 points per possession. The Nugget starters are at 1.27. They are outperforming the Nugget or the Warriors death lineup. That's how good they've been. That lineup is shooting 54.2% from the field and 45.8% from three-point distance. They are holding opponents to just 45% shooting from the field and a minuscule 25% from the three-point line. That lineup has been absolutely deadly and there has not been an answer out there for it that I have seen from any other team. So far, the Nuggets have been able to completely just destroy teams with that unit, and it's been absolutely awesome to see. So I have absolutely no worries about that lineup as often as, or so 
long as the Nuggets show up to play. I mean, if they don't show up to play, they just don't show up to play, and you'll never be able to get the maximum out of them. But when that unit is on the floor and they're clicking, they are unbeatable. They are that good. And we'll talk more about them later because I got so many questions from fans and listeners that um, I want to get to later on in this podcast. We'll have a little bit more conversation about all of this later on. Um, the next thing that I want to get into is going to be the Nuggets bench unit and how little cohesion they currently have. And I'm sorry, it's not a coincidence that it's lacked cohesion since Isaiah Thomas has entered the rotation. So I did some digging in the stats and I think everybody can agree that Monte Morris has been one of the most important X factors on this Nuggets team. So now that so since Isaiah Thomas has been on the Nuggets, Monte Morris in those seven games is only averaging 6.4 points, 2.4 rebounds, and 2.1 assists on 37% shooting from the field and 14% from three. Morris before Isaiah Thomas was averaging 10.8 points per game, almost four more, 2.6 rebounds and 3.9 assists on almost two more assists per game. He was shooting 49.9% from the field and 43.9% from the three-point line, which is almost 30% higher. I mean, clearly the Isaiah Thomas integration has completely changed Monte Morris's approach and his production to the game. And it just seems like he is being a little bit more tentative. It just seems like he doesn't know how to um, assert himself onto the game with, with Isaiah Thomas. So when Monte Morris and Isaiah Thomas are on the floor together, the Nuggets are only posting a 96 offensive rating. That means they're only scoring 96 points per 100 possessions, which is just atrocious. Um, I don't know what is going on with those. Like They just don't fit together, and Isaiah Thomas has as much blame for this as anybody because Michael Malone has talked about how the team has been playing too selfish. There's been a lot of... conversations about the Nuggets playing too much one-on-one ball or playing too much pick and roll and this all in my opinion for the most part at least not all but for the most part comes back on Isaiah Thomas a 96 offensive rating is atrocious for perspective when Monte Morris and Malik Beasley are on the floor together they have 107.7 offensive rating so overall when Morris and Isaiah are together they're posting a negative 2.7 net rating Morris and Beasley together for context was a plus 2.7 net rating So they need to figure out what they're going to do because in my opinion, they're going to have to choose between one of the two of them because as of right now, this is just not working. The Nuggets bench unit changed from an absolute weapon and something that they were able to use to get an advantage over teams into a detriment to their team. They're coming in and they're just blowing this game out. I mean, when you look at the box score from tonight, every single starter was was a positive, except for Paul Millsap, who was a net, uh, who was just neutral. He was a plus minus zero. The bench unit, though, minus 18 from Mason Plumlee, minus 11 from Malik Beasley, minus 7 from Monte Morris, minus 5 from Isaiah Thomas, who got a boost from when he played a couple minutes with Nikola Jokic when he went off so even that is a little bit disingenuous so you have to look at this and be like what is different what is going wrong and it's been Isaiah Thomas I mean you have to find a way to not just squander leads away or end up hurting yourself so much more when you're trying to fight back into a game on the road by having your bench and it just fall apart so 
they're going to have to figure out what's going to work with these two. I have a feeling they're going to keep playing Isaiah Thomas in this rotation throughout the um, the road trip that they are currently on. But if it continues to struggle in the way that it did tonight, and it has since Isaiah Thomas has been integrated into the lineup, the Nuggets and Michael Malone are going to have a very tough decision to make about if they are going to remove Isaiah Thomas from this rotation, how he is going to take it, and if it's going to add a different volatility factor to the locker room. So, again, we'll have to just wait and see. There's not anything we can do right now, but it does look like we are heading down the path to the point where we're going to have to have that conversation. I mean, again, when Isaiah Thomas is on the floor for the Nuggets, they have a 94.1 offensive rating, which is just terrible. Um, This was even more eye-opening for me. So I went and looked at the net ratings of all of Isaiah Thomas's teammates when they share the floor with him. So there are 10 players on the Nuggets who log at least five minutes per game with Isaiah Thomas. Only one of them of those 10 as a positive net rating, and that is Torrey Craig, who had a big run tonight alongside Isaiah Thomas, so it definitely skewed the numbers quite a bit from just tonight. Additionally, Isaiah Thomas, as a point guard on that bench unit that plays an altruistic style, has only 9 assists against 13 turnovers in 95 minutes this year. You can't have a negative assist-to-turnover ratio on a team that plays this altruistically. It just doesn't work. And in addition to that, he's just forcing the issue to much. He has a usage rating of 30.1. He cannot be shooting the ball 30% of the time when he is on the floor. That's higher than Nikola Jokic is currently at, if I remember correctly, or it's right around there. That is way too much for a player who was just coming off of a brutal hip injury and 11 months without basketball. I mean, his shooting splits are 39.6% from the field, 32% from three, and an even lower than expected 68.8% from the free throw line. I don't know what what is it's going to take, and I know it's not fair to Isaiah Thomas because he's been out of basketball for 11 months, and I understand that's part of this, but the Nuggets have 19 games left. They need to figure out their rotation going into the playoffs, and they need to get into a good rhythm going into the playoffs, or else they're going to find themselves in a very precarious situation once they get there. This is a Nuggets team that has very little postseason experience in their core. The only real two players that are a part of this rotation that have playoff experience are Mason Plumley and Paul Millsap, and the other one would be Isaiah Thomas, who may not even have a role in this rotation in a couple weeks from now. So they need to figure out what their rotation is going to be. They need to figure out if they're going to be playing Isaiah Thomas in the playoffs, and they need to make the decision on him sooner rather than later because they need to get back into a rhythm and get a good feeling again going into the playoffs sooner rather than later, and they'll have to figure it out. It was not a good look again tonight, and it's going to be something that the Nuggets have to reevaluate looking forward for sure. There was another very interesting wrinkle of this game, and it's something that I think that we could see the Spurs do more of if the Nuggets match up with them in the playoffs, and it's that they went under uh, screens all night, or most of the night, uh, when Jamal Murray was the ball handler, which you would think off the top of your head, like, why would you give Jamal Murray extra space to take these three-pointers? He's supposed to be a sniper shooter, but overall... He missed shots tonight, and with him missing those open shots, it really 
bogged down the Nuggets offense because they were able to have somebody kind of sagging off into the paint going under screens. And on top of that, Jamal Murray was not able to pull up when the, when his defender went other screens, specifically Derek White, who was very good at this tonight. Instead of just pulling up for threes and forcing guys to come back over screens to contest his jumpers, he was just dribbling either into the defense or taking fadeaway um, mid-range jumpers from the elbow. And that is what the Spurs want you to do in that situation they want you to come down the court and have to face a big who is helping when you drive to the rim and a guard who is still containing after going under a screen or to force you into a long mid-range two which is the goal for almost any defense in the NBA nowadays so Jamal Murray did not handle that well he was three of 11 from the field in the first three quarters and two of five from three um, in that same time span he did open things up in the fourth quarter obviously with that big flurry of threes which we'll talk about a little bit later in this podcast, but he did not get going because he learned how to deal with them going under screens. He just got hot and was in the correct uh, situation to where he could still thrive when he needed to. Um, So I did think that this was a big deal. Jamal Murray did not make one shot at the rim tonight. He only made two baskets in the painted area and they were floaters and a a pull-up jumper. So it's going to be very interesting if other teams start doing this because if the player that is having defenders go under screens cannot hit pull-up jumpers. Jamal Murray, in this case, they're going to keep going under. And for as good of a shooter as Jamal Murray is, he shoots 42.4% on pull-up two-point jumpers and only 32.7% on pull-up three-pointers. If he doesn't make those shots, teams can keep going under and it's going to make his life significantly more difficult than it would be. He's already a minus uh, passer as a point guard and he doesn't create passing avenues at a great level yet he's getting better and he's improved a lot this year but when you have the defense sagging off of you like that and going under screens it takes away the space to operate it takes away those passing lanes and it takes away the effectiveness of his first step so I think it's going to be something to monitor because if other teams start doing this to Jamal Murray it's going to change the way that he has to play basketball he's going to have to hit those pull-up threes and if he doesn't he's going to become a much less impactful player so I thought it was very interesting we don't have a huge sample size on this yet honestly Jamal Murray could just watch film of this tonight and be able to attack it very differently next time it's not hard to realize that when a guy goes under a screen to pull up and take a jumper, but he did not do it tonight and it really hurt the Nuggets. The next thing that has to be talked about is, of course, the Nuggets' big battle back from their big time deficit in the fourth quarter the Nuggets trailed by I believe it was 21 points was their biggest deficit of this game if I remember correctly yeah 21 they never led in this game um were trailing by 21 at one point and they got all the way back within three points in that fourth quarter uh Jamal Murray went off hit four threes Denver was nine of 14 as a team from three in the fourth quarter and they held the Spurs to 38 percent from the field and 33 percent from three most of this run happened with the starting unit in there again. And I've talked at length about how good they can be, but that was a big point of this. It was good to see that Nuggets unit come back and fight on the road against San Antonio. 
I don't want to make any more that come back. They lost the game. There are no there are no moral victories at this point in the season. Once you get into March, moral victories are completely useless. So for me, cool. It was nice to see them battle back in that way in the fourth, and you can see how dominant Denver can be. But alas, it was too little, too late. Um, but before we get into the rest of all the Twitter questions, it is time for me to give a quick shout out to the Regulators Production Group. You can find them on Instagram at Regulators Regime. They're the ones who made the uh, the beats on the intro and outro of this podcast. They're great guys. Go follow Rod Simba, which is one of the three regulators on Instagram. That's R-O-D-S-Y-M-B-A. Also, um, Terrapin Care Station is the presenting sponsor of this show. So definitely go check out TerrapinCareStation.com. And before we go a little further, here is a quick word from Terrapin Care Station. Before we get into the rest of the Denver Nuggets Daily Podcast, let me give you one quick word from our sponsors over at Terrapin Care Station. Since 2010, Terrapin Care Station has been providing patients and customers with high-quality cannabis products at everyday low prices. Serving the communities of Denver, Boulder, and Aurora, they offer their own flour and concentrates, as well as all the brands you love at prices that you just won't believe. They pride themselves in having the most knowledgeable and professional staff in the industry, and their team will work with you one-on-one to help you find the products that are perfect for you. Their dispensaries are unassuming, safe, and discreet with ample parking at every location for a seamless retail experience. For up-to-date menus and promotions, head over to www.terrapincarestation.com or just come visit one of their five convenient Colorado locations today. Again, that is terrapincarestation.com, T-E-R-R-A-P-I-N, carestation.com. questions tonight and I think it was because people were very frustrated with this game so I definitely want to go step by step I think I picked eight or nine questions this time so there's quite a few um, but I picked one and there was a lot of very good uh, questions that were asked in this game um, or after the game so let's just dive into it C. Tomlin on Twitter asked am I wrong to think the Isaiah Thomas edition has shook both the starting lineup and the bench I do think there's something to this well if it clearly Isaiah Thomas has messed up with the bench unit. I mean, they have been struggling ever since he has been integrated into the lineup. There are other reasons they have been struggling, but he is a big portion of that. When it comes to the starting lineup, I do think there's some indirect, uh, I guess, repercussions from the Isaiah Thomas, you know, experiment, if you will. So when the bench unit has been relied upon to be so strong all year and then all of a sudden it comes out and it's struggling and it takes all the wind out of your sails for how good the starting unit has been it does tend to lead to being a negative especially when the bench unit is constantly just destroying the leads that the starters have built so I do think there is a little bit of that I wouldn't say it's a big time drastic difference maker for the starters but still when it comes to the bench unit yes they need to figure this out because he has completely changed the complexity of that bench unit they need to find a way to either get them all operating on the same wavelengths and get Isaiah Thomas to understand how the Nuggets play basketball or they need to move on from Isaiah Thomas as I talked about earlier in the podcast so we'll have to just wait and see but yes I think that Isaiah Thomas has directly messed up the bench unit and indirectly small you know minorly hurt the starting lineup uh, Christopher Vale asked, what can the Nuggets do on defense to slow down guard penetration? And this was a big deal tonight. And this is something that is going to be a big deal for the majority of the season. So 
the Nuggets' defensive scheme, it has Nikola Jokic or whatever big is involved in the pick and roll or in a DHO come up to the level of the screen to be able to allow some extra help to the guards to keep the defense or to, to keep them from penetrating the defense. When you do that, the bigs are able to slip the screen, get open, and that requires help defense to come from one of the corners usually. So. If the Nuggets are going to continue doing this system, which they are going to do, that means that they have to communicate. That is the biggest thing. So if Nikola Jokic is going to come way up the court to help Jamal Murray with dribble penetration, Paul Millsap or Gary Harris or Will Barton, whoever is in one of the two corners, needs to understand that they are going to have to come down to help on the big who is rolling to the rim. That way Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray can work together to keep the guard out of the paint. So when that happens, though, the guard is almost always going to throw throw the pass to whatever um, shooter, whether it's in the corner or in the wing, that the defender who helped down had left. So when that happens, that means everybody else has to start scrambling. That's where the communication comes in. Everybody needs to know who is picking up who. So if Paul Millsap helps down to keep who uh, you know LaMarcus Aldridge from rolling to the rim tonight Torrey Craig or or Malik Beasley or Gary Harris or Will Barton need to call out that they're rotating to Davis Bertans and that the next person is rotating to Bryn Forbes or whoever it was tonight if they don't communicate they're going to lose one of those shooters if they don't communicate the hedge won't work and no one gets back to LaMarcus Aldridge if they don't communicate you can allow that dribble penetration to happen or you allow open shooters everything about this defense is going to be about communicating And if they don't do that, it's going to be a very, very long defensive stretch for the Nuggets. So I do think that they can slow down guard penetration. I don't know if they'll necessarily stop it, but that is how you do it, by communicating and by being on a string and by selling out for your teammates and rotating with reckless abandon. All right, Uh, Woody on Twitter asked, is there a problem with the starters on defense? Is it a problem with player execution? I talked a little bit about this when I was talking about the starters' struggles in their first stint. I think it has everything to do with how much they, with how lackadaisical they come into a game. They looked disinterested to me tonight in that first quarter, and their defense suffered because of it. From that point forward, though, they were very good defensively, especially in that fourth quarter, where they basically swallowed up the Spurs whole and eliminated their offensive ability entirely. So I think it's more about execution. I don't think it's a player problem. I know people keep pointing to Will Barton as a potential bad defender on this team, but he's been very, very, very good since the All-Star break, and he deserves more credit for the amount of def- defensive effort he has given. And Jamal Murray, same thing. His, I mean, his attentiveness can come and go, but his effort is undeniable defensively. Nikola Jokic has gotten so much smarter defensively. Gary Harris and Paul Millsap are just very good defenders. So I do not think this is a scenario in which it is a player problem I think it's an execution problem and an attention problem to the to what they need to do um, but I do see what you're saying is a good question um, MG on Twitter asks can the Nuggets contend without a shot blocker seems like teams are scoring around the rim too easily how do the Nuggets tighten up the paint defense I put I wanted to answer this question next because I think it's very relatable to the last two questions and I, it all comes down again to two communicating Paul Millsap Will Barton and Gary Harris are going to have to provide rim protection for when any team puts Nikola Jokic into a pick and roll or a dribble handoff as a defender. So that means the Nuggets have to rotate over, have to get in good position, and they have to be there early, and that's the only way they can protect the rim. So I don't think that it's going to 
limit their ability to contend if they sell out, especially if their offense continues to be elite as it has been for the majority of the past few years. But I, I, it's going to be tough, and it's a very good point because most teams have some kind of shot blocking or some kind of defensive-minded center that they can go to. I do think we could see some more Mason Plumlee and Nikola Jokic front court when the playoffs come around to provide that little bit extra defensive lineups, I guess, and then they can bring Paul Millsap in for Nikola Jokic in the rotation to allow Millsap and Plumlee to be on the floor together as well for that defensive purposes. Um, So I do think it's possible for this to happen. It's going to be tough, but it's not completely out of the question. Trevor on Twitter asked, how do you think they'll fix Monte and Isaiah Thomas? And I talked about this a little bit earlier, but I want to say it flat out. I think they're going to need to choose between the two, and I think it's going to happen once this road trip is done. Because at that point, they're going to have, what, 16 games before the playoffs, and they're going to need to get into a rhythm, which means they're going to have to make a decision, in my opinion, on the two of them. If not, the only way they can fix this is if Isaiah Thomas changes the way that he plays. Full stop, that is the way that I feel about it, and this is maybe not how the Nuggets feel, this is how I see it, but if Isaiah Thomas is going to be shooting the ball 30% of the times, turning it over more than he is creating plays for others, and having a sub-100 offensive rating when he's on the floor... They have to choose, and it's going to have to be Monte Morris, and it's going to be a tough decision to make, but that's the only way to fix it at this point. Um, The next question came from Kyle. Kyle asked, does Malone feel pressure from management to play Isaiah Thomas? And I thought this was a... An important question because I'm sure it's kind of on everybody's mind. And I would say from my point of view, I don't have any insider information or reporting on this. But no, I do not think this has anything to do with management telling Malone how to run his rotations. If anything, management is not getting their hands involved in Michael Malone's rotations. They trust him to do what he does because he is a Coach of the Year candidate this year, if not the faraway leader for Coach Coach of the Year. So I think where this pressure comes from is that Michael Malone feels a little bit of a personal... Like He feels like he at least has to give Isaiah Thomas, the guy that he coached for a year in Sacramento and gave him his first shot, an opportunity to prove that he can still do things. So I think this is a Malone decision. I do not think this is a mandate from management. I actually think there is no chance that is the case. I don't Again, I don't have any insider information on it, but that's how I feel, that there's no chance that the management group has pushed this upon Michael Malone. So... I do think Malone feels a little obligated to play him because they go back so far, but this is not a mandate from ownership or management. Uh, Andrew on Twitter asks, why doesn't Tory Craig get more playing time? And simply stated, it's because they're trying to play Isaiah Thomas in this rotation as well. I would imagine that if the Nuggets were not playing Isaiah Thomas, that Tory Craig would be getting more minutes alongside Monte Morris and Malik Beasley with this bench unit with Wancho Hernan Gomez essentially out of this rotation now. Um, at this point, you can just play Tory Craig as your pseudo combo forward and you can have Monte Morris, Malik Beasley, Torrey Craig and Mason Plumley off the bench at that point. So I do think that it's all about Isaiah Thomas getting minutes right now and once Isaiah's minutes go away I bet you we see more of Torrey Craig and he was very important in this game against San Antonio tonight. His energy really carried the Nuggets out of a funk that they were in and they need his defensive ability from time to time. So I do think that there's if this 
continues to go on this trajectory that eventually Isaiah Thomas will be cut from this rotation, Trey Lyles could be cut from this rotation once he gets back from injury, and Torrey Craig takes up that ninth man on the roster or in the rotation kind of role, and he'll play between 10 and 15 minutes depending on how well he is playing. So, it's kind of my view on Tory Craig. Uh, last question from Perian. I'm sorry if I'm pr- pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, how can the Nuggets make the bench unit better? Is it worth sacrificing Monte's minutes to get IT back up to speed? And again, no, I do not think so. I think that the sacrificing of Monte Morris's minutes has been the biggest issue with playing Isaiah Thomas. That's not something that I have talked about enough on this podcast. Yes, Isaiah Thomas himself, individually and in a vacuum, has not been good, but when you also add on that you are destroying what makes Monte Morris so great and you have their skill sets cannibalizing each other, that's an additional negative that he is adding to this team at that point. So I don't know how they can make it better with both of them unless Isaiah Thomas changes the way he plays, but I do think that there is no way the Nuggets can continue doing this the way they are. I mean, when you look at it tonight, Isaiah Thomas played 15 minutes and Monte Morris played 18. I think that Monte Morris needs needs to be playing 20 minutes a night every night. I don't think that we should be sacrificing any minutes at all for Isaiah Thomas. Monte Morris is just too important to this team, and they're going to need to figure out how to keep him around longer because this is... That that lineup is just not working, and maybe it'll get better as Isaiah Thomas gets his feet under him, but it does not look that way as of right now. Thank you guys so much for sticking around and listening to this podcast. Went a little bit longer in this one because there was a lot to unpack, but it's going to be an interesting last 19 games of the season. The Nuggets face off with the Lakers next on Wednesday. That will be Wednesday night, and also, shouts to all the Denver Stiffs people. They will be having a Stiffs night out that night, so go check out Denver Stiffs for all that information. Um, additionally, though, it's going to be a fun 19-game stretch. The Nuggets are all but certain to lock up a playoff spot. They are very close on their way to locking up home court advantage as long as they can start winning some games, but with this three-game winning streak right now, they got to find a way to pull themselves out of it on the road. It's going to be an interesting game. Um, Again, shout out to Terrapin Care Station for all the cannabis goods and being the presenting sponsor of this podcast and also the Regulators Regime on Instagram for building the beats for this podcast. We appreciate you guys so much for keeping us in business as well. Make sure to go onto the iTunes or the podcast app on iTunes and going to... um, Give us a five-star review, give us a rating, give us some feedback, subscribe to the podcast, tell your friends about it. I appreciate everybody who is interacting. All of the questions that came in from listeners were awesome. I appreciate everybody for doing that and interacting. This podcast would be nothing without the listeners. So again, thank you guys so much. Um, I'll be talking to you guys again after this Lakers game, but until then, have a great rest of your day. Go when others don't and fly there with Aer Lingus. Our European sale is full of amazing off-season deals to over 20 European cities like Paris, London, Amsterdam and Dublin. Book today at Aerlingus.com. Your home is important. That's why GEICO helps make it easy to save on condo insurance. Because home is more than just a place. Home is where you took minimalism too far because there's only one chair in your entire condo and your only entertainment is one card. Not even a deck of cards, but a single card. 
And all your guests have to share one plate and one fork, but you're convinced that less stuff means more freedom. The GEICO Insurance Agency could help protect the overly minimalist broom closet you call home. Call GEICO and see how easy it is to switch and save on condo insurance.